Good morning. Can anybody hear me? Yes. <laughs> Thank you, Andy. That's so helpful. <laughs> um, before uh, I speak, I'm going to be speaking this morning on the next uh, passage in our Acts series that we're doing. And um, I've just asked Liz to come and read the passage for me, uh, Acts 8, verse 4 to 25, which Liz is going to read uh, for us. Hello. Okay, so yeah, Acts 4, um, sorry, Acts 8, 4 to 25. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralysed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Now for some time, a man named Simon had practised sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip, But when they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptised, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptised, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them, they had simply been baptised in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, May your money perish with you, because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Then Simon answered, Pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. After they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. Thank you, Liz. I'm just going to pray uh, before we get into God's word. Father God, I thank you for the Bible. I thank you for your word. Help us to understand it so that we can know you. Give us the Holy Spirit, I ask, to reveal your heart towards us, to convict us of the state of our own hearts and to lead us to Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith. Amen. Okay. Um, This morning I'm going to be picking up the story of Acts, and um, which I've just put up this slide here, Magic Simon. Uh, This is from my daughters. Um, Some of you may... uh, some, if you, those of your parents may have, um, there's a book called Diary of a Disciple, which is a retelling of Acts, um, and in it they refer to Simon the Sorcerer as Magic Simon, which I thought was quite funny. So, um, 
As Nick's already mentioned uh, this morning, um, this is our first week without Jamie, uh, and I was remembering this morning one of the last conversations. I work quite closely with Jamie uh, in, the, uh, in the staff office um, over the last few years, and one of the last conversations I had with him was about whether I was going to be part of this uh, preaching series. Um, I don't preach particularly often. Those of you who are part of this church would know. I'm normally standing slightly further back, just there behind the guitar. Um, they've let me come out from behind the guitar this morning, so... Um, good luck to everyone um, but one of the last conversations I had with Jamie was whether I wanted to be part uh, of, of this preaching series and I distinctly remember um, I said to him I think I'd like to have a go um, depending on what passage it is as long as it's not one of those weird passages like Simon the Sorcerer <laughs> I actually said that and I, I swear there was, as he looked at what was on I swear there was a glint in his eye <laughs> When he turned around and said, that week, it's Simon the Sorcerer. So, thanks, Jamie, uh, if you're listening. Um, but on a, on a slightly more, I, I do, I was very good friends with Jamie and over the last few years, and I will miss him greatly, as many of us will. Um, but I've been reflecting recently, one of the reasons, he was a very good friend, and I got on very well with him. But what I appreciated about Jamie is that he loved Jesus. Um, and when I spent time with him, um, I loved Jesus more and I understood more of uh, his love for me. And that led me on to kind of thinking about the passage this morning, which is a, a bit of a strange one and we'll get into that. But, um, but I love the Bible um, and similarly it's because spending time with the Bible makes me love Jesus more and makes me appreciate him more and makes me appreciate his, his love for me. And that's actually a relatively recent thing. I've been a Christian for as long as I can remember, and I've read the Bible for as long as I can remember. Really only in the last five years or so, I think, have I um, kind of been given the tools. Um, I've done a bit, a bit of training, and I've been given a few tools that actually made that true about the Bible, that it wasn't just kind of a big collection of words, but it was something that I felt was approachable, and I could read, and I could actually... Um, hear from God and I could actually understand where things fitted together Um, and that's something a recent thing so whatever I bring out of this passage this morning what I would like to do actually first is um, remember that the Bible is so much richer than any one thing that I will bring out and what I would love is I'm going to kind of talk about some ways to approach the Bible because I would really love uh, for you to go away from this morning feeling a little bit more equipped and encouraged to actually approach the Bible um, yourselves and to have some tools. So I'm just going to share some of the things that I find helpful and some of the resources that I find helpful. And then we will then, towards the end, um, apply those. So as an overview of where we're going this morning, um, I'm going to talk about three questions that I find helpful to ask of a particular passage of the Bible when I'm looking at it. Uh, they're not the only questions, it's not the only way you can read the Bible, but it's just a helpful a framework that I find helpful and I hope might be helpful. I'm then going to talk about four resources that help me to read the Bible and understand the Bible and just so that you, that, that might be helpful to you. And then at the end we're going to apply the three questions I talked about at the beginning to this passage in Acts 8. So, the three questions. Um, these three questions kind of come out of this passage, which if you spend any time with the Bible will probably be quite familiar to you because people use it a lot when they're talking about 
why do we read the Bible? Why do we not just abandon bits of the Bible? Why is the Bible important? Um, and this is from Paul's letter to Timothy, where he writes, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And I'm going to kind of take split this into three bits and pull three questions uh, out of that that can help us when we're trying to work out how to read a passage of the Bible. Uh, So question one um, is, what does this passage reveal about God? And going back to the 2 Timothy um, verse, when I read this verse, I often find myself jumping to the middle and jumping for the useful. We live in quite a utilitarian culture, which means we're all about how, do I, how, do, how is this useful for me? What is this for? What, am I, what do I need to do? What do I need to accomplish? And so if you jump into that in this verse and think, right, this is useful for teaching and rebuking, and you can miss where it starts, which is that all scripture is God-breathed. Um, because as much as the Bible has instructions, the Bible is not a useful instruction manual. Like That's not fundamentally what it is. The Bible is written by God, It is written about what God is doing. um, And it's only by his Holy Spirit working in us that we can even understand what it says. So this first question, what this passage reveal about God, is almost saying, what is God saying about himself? Because it's him through his Holy Spirit which um, inspired the scriptures and it's him through his Holy Spirit that helps us to understand those. Um, and it's less about information. I like the fact that the Bible translators have used this idea of God breathing. Um, so there's a sense of which there is, it's not just information. There is something of him in it. Um, and so there's a sense in which we are coming to this not to get information, but to meet someone and to, un- and to get to know someone. So that's question one. What does this passage reveal about God? Question two is, what does this passage reveal about me? Um, the other thing I sometimes do when looking at 2 Timothy is I, again, jump to the middle, um, but I too often uh, start thinking, I don't know if you've ever had this thought, you're reading, you're reading the Bible and you think, hmm, I, think, I know someone who would benefit from this particular teaching or this particular rebuking, um, which is not necessarily a helpful way because the Bible, again, as well as not being... Um, a kind of instruction manual is also not primarily a teaching syllabus. It's not something that you get to take and then wallop other people over the head with. That's not particularly why it was written. Um, it certainly is used like that. But there's another um, well-known verse um, in Hebrews which helps me kind of cast a slightly different light on this idea of teaching and rebuking. In, in, um, in Hebrews 4.12 it says, For the word of God is alive and active. Sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. So if you put these two verses together, my suggestion would be that it's the Bible that is doing the teaching, rebuking and correcting and training of me, the person who's, who's reading it. And I think that's a more helpful place to start. It certainly is useful for teaching and rebuking others, but I think it's very, too easy to skip over and to think, oh, I know other people, and not to sit there and let the Holy Spirit um, convict you um, and start to ask questions about how God might want to speak to you. Um, 
And the third question um, that I find helpful is how does this passage lead me to Jesus? Um, the problem, if you only have the first two questions, what does this reveal about God and what does this reveal about me, um, is that it doesn't leave you in a particularly good place. And indeed, it's quite easy to jump to the end of this 2 Timothy verse, um, which is, it's useful teaching, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. It's quite easy to think, all right, this is what God is saying, and this is what's wrong with me, or which, and, and, and so I need to get on and do some stuff. I now know what I need to do in order to make, make everything better, to prove myself to God, to earn God's love. Um, and that, again, is, is not a particularly helpful approach. And thankfully, if we back up a bit in 2 Timothy, um, Paul, the author of 2 Timothy, actually helps us not to make this mistake because he, the context of what he's writing is he says to Timothy, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of because you know those from whom you've learned it and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through Christ, uh, through faith in Christ Jesus. And so you get the idea that the point of the scriptures is not to lead us into knowing exactly what we need to do to fix anything, but in fact um, the point of the scriptures is to lead us to understanding that we need salvation in Jesus. Um, that, is what, that, that is the aim of knowing scriptures, is not to um, know how to be successful, but is to know how to draw near uh, to Jesus. And in fact, if done rightly, the first two questions, if, you have, if the Holy Spirit has honestly revealed something about God to you and honestly revealed something um, about yourself to you, then you kind of need the last question. Because I guarantee you, you will, you will be left thinking, oh my goodness. <laughs> God says, there's something revealed about God and there's something revealed about me. Um, it's likely to be that way around. You're not likely to feel particularly um, great about yourself in comparison to what God wants to reveal about himself. Um, and so the idea of that is that we are led to Jesus to understand that he is the one resolves that tension um, between, uh, between us and God. Um, so, I'll just uh, remind myself where I am. Yes, so, and again, Paul in another, um, in um, another book, which wonderfully Tom read out this morning, uh, in Romans 5, um, verse 6, says this, you see, just at the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. And that's really where the, first, where the last question leads us. If you've heard from God and about himself and you've heard from God about yourself, then wonderfully, just at the right time, while you are powerless to do anything about that, that situation, um, you, the, the Holy Spirit often leads us to realizing that Christ has died for us um, and made us right with him. So, those are the three questions. Uh, what does this reveal about God? What does this reveal about me? And how does this lead me to Jesus? Um, and you might be thinking at this point, um, that, that, sound, that sounds simple, um, but it's not that easy to apply to, 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 to all scripture, and it's not easy without help. Um, there are some 
passage of scripture, they're easier to ask these questions of than others. But the, the Bible is um, huge and vast. It's full of different types of writing. It's full of different types of historical context that we are missing or that we don't understand. And it's often very hard to even understand what's going on, let alone um, read. So there are a few, I've just picked a few resources that I'm going to recommend this morning that have helped me with answering some of these questions and working out how it is that we actually approach the Bible. Um, number one, if you've known me for any length of time, you've probably heard me recommend um, this book, which is called The Jesus Storybook Bible. Don't be confused by the fact that it looks like a children's book. It's one of the most helpful books that has helped me to see all of Scripture in the light of Jesus and how Jesus is on every uh, is on every page if you know where if you know when where to look and the bible is consistently pointing us um to to, to him to jesus so um if you have children that one is a no-brainer if, even if you don't have children um find someone who does and borrow this book because it's really really helpful um the second one um is a book called um women of the word which again, don't be thrown by the title because I would recommend this to, to anyone. Um, I discovered this book through um, my wife who is part of a connect group where they're going through this, which is run by Mary and um, Julia and Beth. Um, and this is an outstanding book for anyone. It's one of the most helpful books I have read in how to read the Bible well. Um, the author does write with a sense of wanting to kind of reach women in particularly, but there's very little in it that is actually only applicable. Um, her heart is really to try and release people who would otherwise discount themselves from really being able to understand or study scripture and to be able to, again, resource them to be able to do that. Um, and so if that's you, if you felt that the Bible was somewhat impenetrable, then this is an excellent book. It's very accessible at the same time as not in any way down, uh, dumbing down or watering down uh, how important the Bible is and how vital it is for us. Um, the next one is called The Bible Project, um, which is a website and they produce videos and resources which are really helpful for understanding the big picture uh, of the story of the Bible. They, uh, one of their kind of subtitles is that they're convinced that the Bible is a consistent story that God is telling. Um, and it's very helpful. If you, you may well have watched one of their videos which just talks about um, how books of the Bible fit together. Um, I, I was watching the Acts one as part of this. I was actually given um, a book, this is a picture of a book I have, which is enormous, which actually just has all of the text of the videos and has the artwork. And so this is the kind of overview of Acts and how it all fits together. And if you're like me, who likes seeing how things fit together, then this is it's just a wonderful, wonderful resource. Um, and I would highly recommend uh, their website and any of their videos for just helping get you into the world of the Bible and be able to understand that one. Um, and the last one, whereas... Um, it's a bit of a contrast to the Bible Project. So this resource called Look at the Book, which is from John Piper and Desiring God, um, is basically a selection of videos showing you how John Piper meditates on the Bible. And so you just get the, basically these little videos of him scribbling all over scripture, and it's kind of the micro to the Bible Project's macro. So he will just focus on a little verse and meditate on it and draw all over it and pull things out of it. And it's really helpful just to watch how would you 
How would you sit down with a supposedly simple verse from the, from the Bible and how would you mine it for the deep wisdom uh, that is in it? So that's called Look at the Book. Um, so I hope those um, are helpful for you if you want to ask me about any of those afterwards and I'm glad to give you for more information. But I found those very helpful for approaching the Bible. Um, so how do we apply um, these to Acts 8? Um, so just some brief context about where we are in, in Acts 8. We're in the middle of a series in Acts and we're hearing about how the impact of Jesus' life and death and resurrection spread uh, across the world and how God built his church. We've heard how the Holy Spirit was poured out on the, dis- on the early disciples and turned them into bold witnesses for him. We've seen how the early church grows in number. Um, and the, the previous chapter, uh, chapter 7, is about how the tragedy of... Um, Stephen, who was one of Jesus' followers, was stoned by the authority and killed by the authority. Um, But we see how something that they meant to shut down Christianity, uh, that God actually used to expand and to spread. And so there was a great scattering where where his followers basically were were pushed out of Jerusalem and started to spread. And so um, as a a brief outline of uh, the passage that Liz helpfully uh, read to us, so verse 4 to 7, we hear how the scattering um, from the stoning of Stephen leads Philip, uh, one of his followers, to Samaria. Jesus is proclaimed, there are miracles, deliverance, healing, and great joy. Then we hear about Simon, a well-known sorcerer who heard the gospel, and he believes and is baptized. Then Peter and John arrive from Jerusalem and pray for the people to receive the Holy Spirit. Simon offers them money to be able to do the same, um, to be able to... I pray for the Holy Spirit. And Peter strongly admonishes Simon, which is an understatement of what he does there. We're going to pick up on that a bit. And then Peter and John uh, return to Jerusalem. So back to the questions. Question one, what does this passage reveal about God? Um, now that Luke, the author of the book of Luke and of Acts, um, helps us by what he does a lot in Acts is he contrast various stories of people responding to the good news of Jesus uh, and he's inviting us to compare them. Um, Ash picks up on this last week if you were here listening to Ash where he contrasted the response of people who were giving everything they had to Ananias and Zephira who held back money from God and he's inviting you to contrast how are these people responding uh, in their lives to this and um, on the face of it, we see a similar pattern in the passage that, that, uh, that we read, um, that the good news of Jesus is proclaimed, that there are signs and wonders with it, that people believe and are baptised, that the Holy Spirit is given. Um, so in asking what does this particularly passage reveal about God, I was drawn to um, Peter's response uh, to Simon, um, where, um, where we read that Peter answered, so Simon has just asked, offered them some money because he likes the look of praying for the Holy Spirit and Peter answers, may your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Um, now, I don't, the reason this stood out to me was I, I don't know whether I would have responded in the same, in the same way. Um, Simon was a relatively new believer. It, 
it says that he believed, it says that he was baptized. So why, like how did Peter, that, that, that last uh, verse 23 is quite strong. I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. And the face of it, you might put this down to just like, you know, new believers' ignorance. It's fine. Don't worry, we don't need your money. Come on, this is how, this is, this is how it works. Um, so my understanding of that is that this is something that the Holy Spirit revealed to Simon, that Simon was given, sorry, to Peter, that, Simon, that Peter was given insight in, into Simon's heart because he very clearly comments on what's going on in his heart, which there's no way of, of, him, of him seeing. And this reminded me of um, a significant other passage um, in the Old Testament, and the, the context of which is that Samuel, Samuel, one of God's prophets, is trying to find a new king. And he's trying to work out who would make a good king. Um, and he thinks he's found someone who looks, who looks like they make an impressive king for God's people. Um, and we read in 1 Samuel 16, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at their outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Um, it's important to note that in the Bible, the heart doesn't mean what we kind of tend to use as the heart. It doesn't mean like feelings um, specifically. In the Bible, the heart is in the many ways the core of who we are. Um, it represents what we truly believe and it governs, it governs our emotions and our desires and the way that we talk and the decisions that we make. Um, and so, again, I said that what Luke is doing in Acts is he is repeatedly showing stories of people responding to God and inviting us to think how what's going on in people's hearts that would cause them to behave like this um and so i would suggest that what we learn about god from this from this particular bit is that he more than the externals of what we do is concerned with our hearts um because that's what peter has picked up on in response and that secondly the one of the things that the holy spirit does is the holy spirit reveals the truth of the condition of our hearts um, that's, uh, that's one of his kind of significant roles in a way that we as people can't, uh, can't see. Moving on to question two. What does this re- passage reveal about me? Um, in asking this question, I'm going to try and dig into what the, I think the Holy Spirit is pointing to in Simon and then attempt to think how, how might that affect me and what, in what ways might that reveal about me um so there are two specific things that peter confronts in simon um if we have a look again um one is that he wants to buy the gift of god with money um which he explicitly says and then peter later on uh confronts and says this is you know this is not right and the other is that he is full of bitterness. Um, some translations use words like hatred or jealousy uh, and captive to sin. Um, and I want to suggest this morning that from this, that through the Holy Spirit, what Peter recognises in Simon is evidence of an unchanged heart. Um, and in, in particular... Um, uh, in, uh, in particular, a... Uh, sorry, I've lost my notes. In particular, he recognises a heart that is self-sufficient um, and a heart that is self-serving. 
Um, and I'll kind of dig into those two things. Uh, I've just lost my... There we go. So, um, a heart that is self-sufficient says this. Um, it says, God is the means by which I can, be- I can achieve my own ends. And you see this in Simon because before, um, before he believes, he had attention. And uh, verse 9 says he boasted that he was someone great. Um, and you see this a little bit when he says, give me also this ability that everyone who I lay my hands uh, can, can receive this. Um, and so there's a sense in which he is looking to use this gift of God to just continue what he was doing before, to draw attention to himself um, and to gain success and popularity. Um, this is something that I, in my own life, um, I recognize in prayer. Um, I don't know if you ever prayed a prayer like this. Um, God, please, uh, please fix this problem so I can get back to doing whatever it was that I was doing. <laughs> um, I often find myself praying like that's ra- you know rather than prayers like God I I I need to see you in this I want to see you in this situation. It also for me manifests itself uh, in fear. Um, when I find myself crippled by fear, it's usually because I found myself straining for something that isn't that isn't God. I've been kind of putting my hope and my faith in something that is not reliable, that is not reliable in the way that God is. Um, and I wonder what that might look like in, in your life and whether you can recognize areas of your heart where, where you have kind of slipped into self-serving rather than serving God. The second thing that I see in Simon um, is a self-sufficient heart. Um, which says this, that God is the end that I can achieve by my own means. Um, and whereas the first one, self-serving, is about um, using God for other things, this one is about proving yourself to God, as if you have some worth to bring to him. So in this, you see, we recognize this in Simon's offer to buy that he was used to using his money to kind of learn new tricks, um, but that Peter confronts that um, as an inappropriate response. He thought he had something to, 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 bring, for, uh, to bring to the table there and to, and to earn something. For me, um, self-sufficiency in my heart looks like uh, complacency, um, when things are going well, uh, when I'm operating in my own strength, when I'm doing fine, then I don't pray as much as I'd like to. I don't read the Bible as much as I'd like to. I don't trust God for things. Um, I think it's fine. I think I'm able to do things. Um, I think I'm maybe owed things because I've, because I've done well. Um, it also manifests itself for me uh, in stress that when things are going badly or I've taken too much responsibility for things, I thought things were on my shoulders rather than God's and things start going wrong, then I get extremely stressed uh, and take too much responsibility for things. Um, I don't know if you recognise any of those things um, in your own heart. 
Um, how does um, Acts 8 lead me to Jesus? Uh, Luke helps us out here in two significant ways. Um, number one is in Simon's response. Because um, we have to ask the question, what, what is it that's happened that has left Simon in this place of seemingly not actually have changed, having his heart changed? Um, and Simon's response, Peter specifically says to him, repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. And Simon answered, pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have had said may happen to me. And in reading this, this doesn't sound like someone who knows God or who has understood or has had some kind of personal encounter with, with, with Jesus. It's, it, to me, it reads as someone who is still relatively distant because he's still looking to the disciples as, as the kind of authority or, or as, as the people who need to get him into God's good books, almost. Um, the other thing, similarly, that, that Luke does in the next chapter is we see Paul, um, Saul, who very powerfully encounters Jesus and has an in, entirely different response, who has his life turned completely upside down um, in encountering Jesus. And so I want to suggest that the way that we avoid these pitfalls, the way that we have a changed heart, the way that we avoid self-sufficiency or self-serving uh, is, to have an, is to have that encounter with Jesus and is to know him um, why? Because Jesus is the antidote to both a self-serving and a self-sufficient heart. Um, in Jesus, we see that God is both the means and the end. Um, it's not an either-or. In John sixteen, uh, John three three sixteen, it says, "For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life." The Father sent Jesus to wipe away our sin and become part of his people, his family, to be with him forever. We are rescued by him and we are rescued for him, for eternal life. And the eternal life that John is talking about is not just a, a, something in the future, but it's an eternal life that we enjoy now uh, by his Holy Spirit uh, who lives in us. So it's in Jesus, in asking how does this lead me to Jesus, it's in Jesus that we see that God is both the means and the end. He is the journey and he is the destination. He's not one or the other. He is the lamp to our feet and he is the shelter from the storm. He is the map and he is the treasure. He is the means and the end. And my question this morning is do you, do you know him? I have in my notes here um, an in-joke to myself which says uh, worship leader mode activated. Um, my um, normal operating gift here in this, in this church is as a worship leader and um, in that, that's not, it's not, it's not pro primarily choosing songs for us to sing on a Sunday but that is in first for myself trying to point myself to God and say, 
he is worthy of our worship, trying to remind myself and then to remind others. God is amazing and worthy of our, of our worship. And so my question this morning in worship leader mode is, 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 do you see him? Do you see Jesus? This is the good news. This is the gospel. This is the God who is three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The three questions that I invite us to ask of the Bible, what does this reveal about God? What does this reveal about me? What does, how does this lead me to Jesus? The Holy Spirit reveals the Father's heart to us. The Holy Spirit reveals the true condition of our hearts. And the Holy Spirit reminds us that just at the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly, which is us, in case you weren't clear. Um, nothing else and no one uh, comes, comes close to this. Everything else that you could, every other way that you could try and live is either a means to an unfulfilling end or is some kind of end that you will never achieve uh, on your own. But Jesus is the one who emptied himself to save us from lives of self-sufficiency or self-service. Uh, let's pray. And then I'd love us to worship again. Father God, thank you for the Bible. Thank you for your word. Thank you for how your Holy Spirit speaks through it to reveal your heart to us. Thank you for how it convicts us of the state of our own hearts. Thank you that it leads us to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Meet with us, we pray that in your presence our hearts would be transformed. Save us from trying to use you or trying to prove ourselves to you. Give us new hearts that give you glory as both the means and the end. Remind us that you are the home that our hearts long for and that you will faithfully lead us there. In Jesus' name, amen.